Being a good detective is a must for any service tech. Welcome to Service Calls, a podcast for service techs brought to you by TechTown and Food Service Equipment Reports. In this episode, we're talking about how important it is to keep up your training while still striking a healthy work-life balance. And joining me is Food Service Equipment Reports Managing Editor, Lauren Coglin. We'll also hear about the wrong and costly way to clean some buffet warmers. But first, on the phone from Indianapolis, Service Calls checks in with General Parts President Gary Sherman to talk ongoing training for food service equipment maintenance and service. Gary, uh, could you give us an idea of what the training program looks like at General Parts? You know, we, we don't have a formal technician training where it's a one-size-fits-all. We have a four-week onboarding process for all employees that it's different for technicians than it is for dispatchers. Um, but the last couple weeks of that training is really field-based, based on their level of experience. You know, if they're, if they're a SOFESA master technician coming over and they've got 20 years of experience, the amount of training they need to be up and running is far less than someone coming out of school. So so that part of it, we kind of change to suit the needs of the of the individual. And it's always a little bit of a combination. We do we do some pre-hire testing and some post-hire testing to understand exactly where um, we need to focus our training efforts. And then based on what we find there and how fast they pick it up, we just adapt. And we've got, you know, we've got five service uh, training centers. Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Indianapolis, Phoenix, and Portland. We're spread out throughout the throughout the country. So if we need to hold a school of our own, we can do that. You know, we certainly um, utilize uh, the Safesa training classes. We actually have um, two of our field technicians are Safesa trainers. So when they hold the schools, uh, we'll send our guys down there uh, to teach. There's there's so there's not a really a ton of structure to it. Um, it's really based on the individual needs. Gary, I'm curious, uh, what changes has General Parts made to its ongoing training programs lately that are going to last post-pandemic? Yeah, I think we'll do, you know, like everyone else, we'll do more virtual than we ever have. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, obviously, you know, nobody could travel. You know, we weren't trying to gather in large groups. So we really kind of mothballed our training centers and did everything online or virtual or however you have it. Now, slowly but surely, as we work toward a hopeful end of the pandemic, we've reopened our training centers. Uh, we opened a new one in Portland just a couple of weeks ago and had, a, had our first manufacturer class out there in a safe and socially distant manner. You know, so I think some of the some of the things will, will remain virtual or online, but I, I think, and I'm not a technician, but I think if you asked any technician the best training they have is the hands-on, whether that's hands-on field trainer or whether it's hands-on classroom training, where they're actually laying their hands on the piece of equipment. Can you talk about how important it is for ongoing training for field techs? Yeah, it's it's critical. I mean, especially now with the at the rate, you know, new technology is coming into equipment and the, you know, the landscape of the equipment's changing to be smart and, uh, you know, more computerized in, in many or most cases, you've got to, you've got to do that, what we call refresher training, right? You may go through a, a week-long manufacturer school, you know, in, in 2021, but in 2022 and in, in the following years, you know, there's going to be some sort of follow-up refresher training on what's changed. So it's, it's critical. It's, it's critical. You can't just train once and then never again. 
And you kind of just referenced this a little bit, but what are some of the more common roadblocks technicians come across with continuing education and how can they get through them? Yeah, the getting through them part's the trick. I mean, the, the roadblocks for speaking for general parts technicians are, you know, the, the amount of available time they have versus how many hours they're working. You know, we've got a we've got a smaller work crew after the pandemic, but about the same level of work as before the pandemic. So our guys are working in some cases incredibly long hours, you know, and in it's hard for us as a as a business to say, oh, you know, you could run three calls for me today, but I need to take you out and send you to this school, you know? So it, it it's that balance of realizing it's training isn't an expense really. And a lot of people look at it that way. It's an investment, right? It's an investment in a quality product. And then there is, you know, if they're, if they're really a skilled professional craftsman, they're going to invest some of their own time into it. Um, and, and I know a lot of our guys do because I talk to them, you know, they'll, they'll do classes outside of outside of work or they'll go online and do some training while they're sitting on their couch watching TV or whatever. So, you know, you just got to get, you've got to get creative and you've really got to be committed to being a, a technician, being a career and not just a paycheck. Do you have any suggestions on how to make time for that training, that, that critical training, you know, with the expanded workload and then just life in general? You want that work-life balance. So we've got a, you know, we've got a number based on the, the technician's, um, you know, capability level of, of ideal hours. We want them to work in a week and we try to stick to that um, so we can push them out the door. Um, you know, it's aligning yourself with the right manufacturers and customers and not trying to be all things to everybody, which is a process, you know, we go through every year is evaluating who are we partnering with and does this make sense for us? And does it make sense for them? It's really, a, especially at this time, it's, it's really a fine line. And I know that Cephas's conference had a session on AR and VR training. Um, what are some of the newer technologies that you're seeing in service training? Yeah, I, I think it's more, you know, it's more virtual. It's more online interacting where, you know, the, the, the technician can, if they need technical support, they can, they can turn their camera on on their phone and, and the manufacturer um, support representative can actually see the equipment functioning, um, you know, and again, it, it goes back to the virtual training and the online training. And I think that's a trend that, you know, that's a trend that will continue. I mean, it, it was necessary throughout COVID, um, you know, but I think also we've all realized what an what a incredible expense saving from a travel standpoint that can be. Um, we just have to be careful that virtual and online doesn't replace the face-to-face -face relationship building because it's good to sit down and, and go through a class with some of your fellow technicians, maybe even from other companies, share war stories, you know, go to dinner and break a little bread and, and, and really form those relationships that, you know, they may help you get through that sticky, that sticky spot, even if it isn't a technician from your own company, if you can call somebody and, and, and get a, a hand lent to you or vice versa. I think that's a, that's a really good thing for the industry. So thinking about general parts, is there anything new on the horizon that you can talk about for your in-house training program? Yeah, I touched on a little earlier, you know, we're excited to open our, our fifth training center in, in Portland. We didn't really have anything on the, on the West coast. So it really involved a, a lot, a lot of travel for those, for those guys and gals, if they wanted to 
attend one of our schools or go to a manufacturer. A lot of the manufacturers are East Coast based. So I think having something on the West Coast makes a lot of sense um, for us and for them. Um, you know, in July 1st, we joined the PT Holdings organization. So now we're, a, you know, we've got a, about 25 sister companies that face the same problems we do. So I really think um, long range planning is we'll, we'll put our heads together and we'll, we'll take all of our formal or informal training platforms and programs and processes and, and kind of really be able to, you know, to, to move the needle um, is what I would hope into a more formal and structured uh, training program based on the level of experience that a technician has. And do you have an example of a story um, of a field technician who benefited from continuing education, something that kind of shines a spotlight on why it really matters? We had one actually was here in Indy where I'm based. We were able to visit some schools virtually, some technical trade schools, and work with one. There, were, there was a, a young technician or a young guy that was going through school to be a technician, and we negotiated with them to let him spend half of his work, half of his school week actually working with our company and half of the school week um, doing the actual school work and book work at the at the technical college. So you know, he worked with us part time for about a year and and we did a ton of training with him, but he graduated school and didn't have to look for a job. He had already had a job for about a year and had already had some money in his pocket and, um, you know, was well on his way to making a, a great living. And, you know, but his stick to of not just getting that job and, and getting a few paychecks and saying, ah, I don't really need school, you know, that really showed his commitment to being a, you know, a professional. Great advice and something I believe is true in life. You know, you never stop learning. Thanks again to General Parts President Gary Sherman. Up next, it's From the Field. And on the phone with us is Cefesa Director of Training, Dan Reese. And Dan, uh, tell us about a call you got that stumped you at first on a couple of levels. I got the call because the the chef, the executive chef, and I kind of knew each other. It was kind of a weird situation. So he called and said that all of a sudden he was having a problem with his like buffet warmers. Instead of one once in a while not working, there's been a series of several. And, you know, in the past, this was a resort that does, you know, huge weddings, huge parties, where they set up food stations that might have, you know, 10 different things. How do you go about diagnosing uh, the issues and what were some of your findings? The first thing I did is he, he gave me the ones that were not working. They had set them aside. The first thing I noticed is that it looked almost brand new. So that was a weird thing. So you just start tearing them apart. You, you take the bottom off. You see what's going on. First thing I noticed when I took the bottom off, it was completely soaked with water. It was drenched. The insulation was soaked. You could see all the wiring was soaked. So I set that one aside, grab the next one, grab the next one. So I thought, well, this is odd. You know, there are holes in the pan. So you know, I went about looking at the pan itself. Is there a hole in it? And that that does happen. Uh, sometimes they clean it with the wrong thing and it's too caustic and they get some holes and pits in, in the pan. But I didn't see any holes. I didn't see anything. So then I went back to the chef and said, you know, this is what I'm finding they're, they're completely wet. So it's got to be something in your use that you're doing or you're filling them wrong or something. So that's kind of how it started is, you know, you literally take it apart, see what's going on with it. And they were all just soaking wet. And that's, that's kind of where it started. And so this ended up turning into a really big deal and you had to completely rebuild the soup warmer. So what we did is we took the 
we took the best of the ones that were broken and made a decision that he would want those rebuilt. So when you say rebuild, that's pretty much what we did. We kept the outside housing. We kept the pan. It had to have a new element, had to have all new wiring, had to have new controls put in it, had to be re-insulated, all new insulation, and literally rebuilt. And so you still haven't really figured out like what happened, why they got soaked, but you did catch something out of the corner of your eye, didn't you? Well, what I did is I, you know, there had to be some way that water was getting into them. So when the chef left, then I started talk actually talking to these people and say, okay, come on, like level with me. Are you, did you spill water on him? Did you, you know, drop him in water? What happened? And all the staff that worked in the kitchen said no all the banquet staff all the servers and stuff were like no we know how to fill them we set them up you know we we didn't spill water on them they didn't you know i've asked you know were they left out in the rain because they set them outside for parties sometime they're like no nothing like that ever happened so uh you just kind of like well you know all right so i i repaired them and stuff and again this resort was so big that there's several ways to come in and out so when I got there in the morning, it wasn't busy. So I had come kind of through the front door, went right through the dining room, came back into the kitchen. When I left, I went past the dish room. And that's when I noticed that they had a bunch of soup warmers stacked up and the dishwasher was actually running them through the conveyor dish machine. Oh, man. <laughs> not what you should be doing with them. Not, not at all. In fact... It was funny because he wasn't, he was setting them upside down so the pans wouldn't fill up with water, but the air vents to let the heat out and keep cool air in faced that way. So it was literally filling them up and then he was stacking them to let them dry and they were just, you know, completely saturated. And uh, I think at that point, there was one or two on the conveyor going through. He had already run two or three through and I think he had like six or seven or eight sitting there ready to run through. So I stopped him and we went and got the chef and we talked to him and uh, we were able to communicate with him that, you know, no, don't do that anymore. And that's when I realized that's why they look so brand new. <laughs> he was running right. through the dish machine and, and they were they were very clean. <laughs> and ruined. Yes. And ruined. So we we told them that anything with a cord, kind of anything with a power cord does not go through that dish machine. So they understood. He understood. What makes this service call stand out to you, and uh, what could service technicians learn from it? Well, you know, sometimes the service technician has to go into, like, detective mode. You don't really want to leave a job site not knowing what caused a problem, because really all you're going to do is put a Band-Aid on a bigger wound. Uh, you need to kind of get to the root of the problem. And, and, and to be honest with you, sometimes service techs don't go in deep enough. They say, well, it got wet. All right, one will get wet. Maybe two will get wet, but not a dozen. Uh, you have to go in and look and see what caused the problem. And, and service technicians have to, you know, like I say, switch into detective mode. You know, real quick, I had another one once where it was a slicer. I took the motor cover off to work on it, and the water poured right out of it. So no I told the, the, the lady that ran the kitchen, you can't hose these slicers down. And she was saying, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't. So when she walked away, one of the other people owned up and, you know, kind of confessed that she thought it would be better if they soaked it in the sink. So they filled the three compartment sink and let it sit in the sink overnight. 
And while it was probably very clean, it was also yeah. another another really expensive piece of equipment right. that was ruined. Right, exactly. So what happens is, you know, some people don't understand that these things cannot be submerged. They cannot be put through the dish machine. So again, you have to go in detective mode and find out what's causing this. And that's what happened with that. You know, that should be on a, on a wall somewhere in every restaurant. If it's got a cord, don't soak it. <laughs> Thanks again to Cephasa Director of Training, Dan Reese, uh, who's in the running for most appearances ever on service calls. All right, now it's time for our Nuts and Bolts segment where we hear from you answering our monthly question. And last month we asked, what's one tip for resetting customer expectations as we emerge from the pandemic? All of the answers came in via email, so some colleagues of mine lent their voices. First up, it's EMR Baltimore Tech, John Varner. One tip I feel is necessary for resetting customer expectations is a frequent and factual communication of the timeline for the job's completion. With parts availability and shipping nowhere near pre-pandemic, the customer needs an accurate estimate of what to expect and any alternative options available to them. The normal week to 10 days for a return with parts is not necessarily possible, and the customer needs to be aware of this. Now we hear from Goodwin Tucker Service Manager Jared Scow. My advice would be to invest in preventative maintenance on critical equipment due to supply chain issues and labor shortages. Forecasted failures may allow an operating business to procure a part before failure, even though it may take much longer than usually expected. And this comes from Vanco Vice President of Operations, Rusty Park. Vanco has long been known in the Indianapolis market for not only providing quality service, but also timely service, sometimes same day. Since May of 2021 in the Indianapolis market, we've seen demand like never before. This demand and the lack of trained service technicians has produced a great backlog of service work. Additionally, supply chain issues are only compounding the problems with the service delivery process. Customers are being advised on the initial contact that it'll be several days before we can get to them, and this is often met with some questions. Once the team advises that we're trying to protect the work-life balance of our team, our team is already working long days and have been for months, and the fact that our staff is also susceptible to sickness, folks seem to understand. They're beginning to accept longer service times, and overall the team does a pretty good job of putting the end user at ease. We're also prioritizing calls such as walk-ins that are down or a critical piece of equipment that greatly reduces the customer's ability to meet the offerings on their menu. Thanks to my colleagues Mike Hoffman, Terry Lydon, and Ron Brown, respectively, for voicing those up. And thanks to everyone who chimed in this month. We really do appreciate your time. Next month, our question is, what's on your wish list for 2022? I know it's on mine, and we'd love to hear from you, and you can call in to leave a message. Our number is 312-788-7618. That's 312-788-7618. You can also email or record a voice memo on your phone and send it along to servicecalls at fermag.com. And that's it for this episode of Service Calls, brought to you by TechTown in partnership with Food Service Equipment Reports. I'm Rob LaFriends, and we'll be back next month, so be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode.